spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Recorded live. Hi there. Welcome to Prayer Warriors Needed because prayer warriors are needed for prayer across for across this nation. Our governance structures ending eugenic programming, TI programs, and um, just seeing God's power to reign across this earth. We need prayer warriors. So give honor to God and all the saints, just thanking God to be here. Give God all the praise, the glory. God, we just exalt you. We magnify your name. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to take over in this lesson that we're reading and let it be a divine help to someone, Heavenly Father. As we read on divine healing, healing through touch uh, from a minister, Heavenly Father, we know that there are provisions for that sacrificial offering that was made on the cross, and one of the provisions uh, of that um, sacrificial offering on the cross is healing. And God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the power to heal. And we thank you, God, for giving us the knowledge and the information on how to invoke this power, how to pray for ourselves, pray for our loved ones, pray for healing and divine intervention, Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for giving us always a way out, Heavenly Father. We thank you that we can uh, rebuke the demon forces that try to come into our bodies and harm us. We come against every demon force, Heavenly Father, from radiation programming to no-touch torture to electromagnetic weapons to invisible weapons to directed energy weapons. Whatever weapons these demons are using, Heavenly Father, we decree and declare that your power is stronger and that you will make those demons turn that stuff off in the name of Jesus and that divine healing will be administered. God, we thank you. We praise you. We exalt your name, Lord. You brought us through another week and that we can come together and give you praise and glorify your name and say thank you, Heavenly Father, for you being God. Thank you, God, for the land of the living. Thank you, God, for the privilege of prayer. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to come together and exalt your name, Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, for all you've done, all that you're going to do, Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, for you being God. God, we just praise you. We exalt your name. We thank you, God, for the gifts of the Spirit. God, we thank you for guidance, leadership, direction. God, we thank you for this thing called mercy, God. Even if we're not perfect, we have that mercy clause on our lives that still covers us. God, I ask you to bless each and every targeted individual out here that's going through something, and those who may not even know that they're T.I. or may not know they're going through something. God, I ask you, God, to just, I thank you for that community of people that's going, working passionately to expose eugenic programmings and the atrocities that come with it. God, I thank you to know that there will be a day on earth when there will be no more eugenic programming. And, and if it was to happen, 
It will not be allowed, disregarded, and it will not be in the secrecy curse. We bind and rebuke the secrecy curse. We bind and rebuke rituals that were done to have this type of programming, this this foothold on people, this this destroying people's health to keep control, demonic control. We decree and declare that this thing will be wiped off the earth. God, we come against every program they put out here, Heavenly Father, especially the programs that target the vulnerable population, our children and our elders and our regular people. We come against their inflicted cleft lips, their inflicted rare diseases, their inflicted the induced eye sickness. They had a lot of kids with the glasses. God told me that was part of this program. God, we come against the radiation program that's in epidemic levels, this leg program, disabling people's legs to force them to the hospital. God, we come against and we we decree and declare divine healing, miraculous healing, to have demons' mouths left open because God will put people back in the, the space that they were created in with their legs, that each and every person suffering with any type of vein, leg, vascular, induced vascular program, Heavenly Father, that they will be able to run and not be weary, Heavenly Father, that they'll be able to get on that treadmill and that you will give them the strength, Heavenly Father, that the demons tried to take away but couldn't. God, you are the God above all God. You're all sovereign. You're all powerful. I decree and declare healing for each and every person that has been victimized by this sick program. And Heavenly Father, those that are doing this, God, I put them in the hands of the Holy Spirit, take over on their lives. I deem, I decree and declare that the Holy Spirit will move in on them like a flood and that they will know that they cannot mess with God's people, Heavenly Father. We come against the spirit of deception and deceit, all of their false teachings that they're putting out here to keep people confused. We come against it through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you, God, that your word tells us that we must study and show ourselves approved. So God, I thank you for the thirst and the yearning that each one of us have to learn more about your word, Heavenly Father, to learn how to make it through this thing called life. And life, Heavenly Father, will be uh, invoked over our uh, us according to biblical teaching, and that's with abundance, and that's with peace, love, and prosperity, and most importantly, good health. God, I just thank you, God, for watching over us. I thank you, God, for shieldings. I thank you, God, for you being God. I thank you, God, for being the God of the impossible. I thank you, God, for being able to turn things around, and I know you can turn this sick program around in each and every person, Heavenly Father, that's been targeted eugenically targeted, God. Let them know that the powers within them, Heavenly Father, that they can anoint themselves, that they can anoint them these these attacks in the name of Jesus and demand demons to flee because half of this is demon. They're doing witchcraft. They're doing uh, just some horrible things to induce people in the medical system. And God, I thank you for being able to pray this thing and let that devil know he's a liar. He can't have us, that we will not be manipulated. God, I thank you, God, for letting us know that you're taking care of us, God, that we're under your wings, Heavenly Father, and under your wings no weapon formed against us can prosper. God, I thank you that we have a way out. I thank you, God, that you are all sovereign, that this demon has to know that he can't go, Heavenly Father, only as far as you allow him. I thank you, God, for choosing this community of people to expose this horrific program that targets people's health, 
and harms people. And I pray that every targeted individual be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, and that they begin to know you, Heavenly Father, and that they know that through you all things are possible that they don't ever get to the point that they don't have an understanding, Heavenly Father, that you are all sovereign and you make decisions. And sometimes, God, that evil is allowed for the benefit of humanity, that humanity will wake up and turn things around and put us back under the reign of God by living according to your will, Heavenly Father. God, lead us, direct us, give us the discipline we need don't let me, not, not one Heavenly Father leave this earth before accomplishing the goals and the destinies that you have each one of us to do. God, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to take over on this lesson. Let us leave here with information and knowledge we did not have previously. God, I give you the praise. I give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at Healing Through Touch. This is a book, The Power to Heal. Uh, my mother had it here. My mother used to study theology, so she's had some great books yet. And I just happened to see this. And um, this is by, what's his name? Healing Through Prayer a Rediscovery. Really, that's where I should do, Healing Through Prayer. I think I'll do Healing Through Prayer, even though... Francis McNeese is the name. Uh, the topic was supposed to be healing through touch, but I think I need to start in the introduction, which is healing through prayer, a rediscovery. In the past 10 years, my understanding of the power of Jesus Christ to transform people's lives has been gradually but radically changed. Not that I ever doubted that he came to transform our lives, but I thought he did it mainly through his teachings. He was the prophet and teacher who pointed out the way for us to follow. And not only did he teach and point the way, but he was also our model, the way, the truth, and the life. All this is true, of course, but I didn't fully realize that we need his power to transform us, that we can't just teach and preach and then expect people to be changed. The depth of our wound. In my early adult years, during high school and college, I came to the recognition of a degree of weakness, of powerlessness in people that I had never fully realized was there. During two years in the Army, in World War II, I had seen contrasts of human goodness and sin that I'd never known in a protected childhood in the world of private schools and colleges. The Army brought me into contact with a world of people whom, by and large, I could not trust. I didn't need to believe in sin. I could really see that our world was somehow under its sway. I was naively bewildered by the mystery of sin. Why were people so cruel and hard? Then after several more protected years in the seminary, I met evil again after ordination. Only now, instead of meeting people who were evil or seemed willingly caught up in evil, I met good people who came to me asking for help. They came to confession or asked for spiritual direction during a retreat. They were good people who somehow were trapped in one or more areas of life that seemed evil, and they couldn't free themselves by willpower. Okay. 
Only now, instead of meeting people who were evil or seemed willingly caught up, okay, I met, I met good people, all right, and they couldn't free themselves by willpower, spiritual and psychological lack of freedom was tormenting them. The depressed person who contemplated suicide couldn't be free by desiring to be free. The married homosexual suffering from the sexual struggles could not free himself to love his wife. There were sexual struggles that could not free himself, that he could not free himself. My wife went up to love them. All right. The depressed person, I did. Okay, the married homosexual. Um, Struggles could not free himself to love his wife. There were those, including myself, suffering from anxiety. What was the answer when Christ told us that we should not be anxious? Then there were the people, including a priest who lived in the same house with me. He was suffering from such sickness as alcoholism. All these people who came to me for help were already going to confession and presumably were repentant. In the course of several years, I came to realize that many, perhaps most of the suffering people who came to me for spiritual direction, they were burdened by real evil that did not give way to repentance or willpower. Their plant echoed Paul's, I have been sold as a slave to sin. I cannot understand my own behavior. I fail to carry out the things I want to do, and I find myself doing the very things I hate, Romans 7.14. People were coming to me and looking for help after admitting things that brought them into tears, sins. They did not really want to commit, for which they were somehow driven to. A man, for instance, might feel driven by loneliness to get into his car and head for a nearby city, cruising until he found another man in a park or bar. He felt terrible remorse and shame, but somehow he couldn't stop such encounters for more than a few days at a time. At the end of the week, it would happen all over again. He would feel wrong about his confessions because he was always falling out and confessing the same thing. What could I say that would help him? Or what could I say to a man who felt so miserable about his life that she... Or what could I say to a nun, wow, a nun, who felt so miserable about her life that she felt like committing suicide. I could discourage the suicide, but did my words really affect the depression? A psychological solution. It was about that time that I and many priests like me began to read books on counseling and psychology. We began to realize that Much personal behavior seemed to be determined by past experiences for which the individual was not responsible. It it became increasingly difficult to separate spiritual problems from psychological ones. Some articles and much private conversations by moral theologians suggested that masturbation was not always a sin, certainly not a serious sin, but simply part of the process of growing up. 
we were told that many things we had been labeling as sin, such as alcoholism, were more like sicknesses. We could not just tell the person to repent and shape up. He needed help, a doctor, a guest house. If these various problems that tormented people were not voluntary but were simply part of a process of growing up, then the best thing a preacher or counselor could do was to help the person to understand this behavior as part of a process rather than to label it as sin or evil. When a person cannot change his behavior, labeling his actions as sin simply increases anxiety by making him feel guilty and hated by God for behavior that he cannot change. Eventually, the behavior might change, but not at this moment. So it seemed healthier for the counsel or the priest to accept these persons whom we once would have labeled sinners as they were rather than condemning them and thus leading them to condemn themselves, worsening their condition. On the face of it, on the face of it, that accepting attitude seemed to be a more loving attitude than our previous one. For a time, it seemed that the best way to help people suffering from what had appeared to be incurable spiritual problems was to send them to the psychiatrist. But many were not helped by the psychiatrist either. What was the answer? The problem involved more than healing this person. It involved how we understood life in general in the light of redemption. When so much, when so much human sickness seemed to be more destructive than redemptive, how could I speak of the love of Jesus Christ to a woman paralyzed by deep mental depression? If I tried to encourage her by saying that God loves her, she would answer, maybe God loves you, but he surely doesn't love me. Just look at me. I even hate myself. If he loved me, he wouldn't leave me in this state. As you can see, I was simply trying to make sense out of the kind of mess that causes so many Christians to lose faith. It was the same situation we all confronted times in our lives and would like to forget, the age-old problem of evil. None of the answers I had been preaching up to that point in my life was satisfying when he came face-to-face with reality. To call all these human problems sin as though the sufferers could change their lives through repentance was clearly a hard line that sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. Some people could change, some couldn't. Some of it was personal sin, but some of it was mixed with a lack of inner freedom. So that person simply couldn't change without help. But but were psychology and the power of human love enough to change deep-rooted problems? Sometimes counseling helped, but many times it simply wasn't enough, especially if it often wasn't enough to help those hurting the most. Articles began to appear in Psychiatry Today questioning whether psychiatry was really worth all that money when just as many patients uh, got better who had no treatment as those who had undergone extensive psychoanalysis. So what was the answer? Are there a certain number of people who are hopeless, as it were, and should just learn to accept their condition, endure life as a test, but without much happiness? If that kind of cynical solution seemed realistic, it also 
eviscerated the gospel and made it relatively meaningless when he talked about good news and salvation. When did it mean, what did it mean anyway, to say that Jesus is the one who saves, who redeems mankind? Maybe I could lift all that up to some abstract sermonic level, but what does it mean when you are trying to help a weeping friend who is contemplating suicide? Power to heal. I share all this personal searching because in some way we all go through it trying to make this make some sense out of the mystery of human suffering. It was in this questing frame of mind that I first heard in 1966 of someone who had a strong belief that Jesus Christ would heal people if we asked. And this person had many successful healings to back up that theory. Actually, it is a very simple concept which corresponds to a literal interpretation of the gospel passages that speak about Jesus healing the people who came crowding around him. It is the Gospel of Mark, probably the earliest written, the earliest written that makes special note of the crowds of people coming for healing, often making it impossible for Jesus and the disciples to eat. Sometimes Jesus had to cross the lake over or even go to a Gentile territory just to escape the multitudes who gave him no rest in their search for healing. The number of these references in the gospel is impressive. It seemed to me that it was easier to understand these crowds and healing scenes as having really happened than to reinterpret them symbolically. So when I heard that people were praying directly for healing, laying hands on the sick and all that, it seemed important to check it out. The people I heard and later met, like Agnes Sanford, impressed me as being intelligent, sincere, and filled with a hopeful faith that I envied. Not only did they have hope, but a wealth of experience in seeing healing happen. When I regarded as extraordinary was simply their shop talk. What I regarded as extraordinary was simply their shop talk. Eventually, I, in turn, decided to take the risk of of faith and begin to pray in a personal way for the sick. I stopped just saying general prayers at a distance. It was then that my understanding began to change, and I saw that certain elements in, in tradition, religious traditions, had more substance than I thought. Original sin is, I now find, a very real thing and not merely an abstraction. It is a real evil in human beings, but at the same time, it is not personal sin as though the person desires to be afflicted. We are all wounded. Our wills don't always have the power to change. Our minds are confused and our emotions can enslave us and we are strangely moved by unreasoning impulses. Admitting that man is basically good and created by God, there still is an evil within us that is also somehow beyond us. There is also evil outside of us, and as St. Paul says, our struggles are not just against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. At times now, I find that I have to be 
that I have to command evil spirits to leave people in order for them to be free. All this, I know, sounds primitive to some theologians writing today who are now claiming that prayer of petition dominates the minds of pre-scientific cultures and that the predominance of science in the Western mentality since the Copernicum revolution has gradually relegated prayer as petitions to the status of superstition. Such a view asserts that it is a negative spirituality which emphasizes man's limitation and fails to respect the unlimited capacity of humanity to know and affect the universe. What I see is something quite different. I'm a Christian humanist who does not overly stress the negative aspects of life, but I see the gospel speaking of our dependence upon God and not and our need, our desperate need of a savior like St. Paul. I find that it's impossible to present myself, to prevent myself from being the very thing I hate without the saving power of Christ. And I've seen too many people sit before me pouring out their life history and then finding them hopeless to pull themselves out. Humanly speaking, there is a limit to the power of human beings to achieve their own perfection. Over and over again, I have seen that there is a power, the saving, healing power of Jesus Christ, which can change and transform lives in in ways that I never would have dreamed of in my previous pastoral experience. Not only that, but I find doctors and counselors quite willing now to admit the limits of their science. Already 24 doctors are registered to make a workshop on prayer for healing that is to be held in two months from the time I write this. Some doctors and scientists, of course, hold to the view quoted above about the sufficiency of science in human nature, but on the whole, I find them quite open to investigate the evidence relating to prayer for healing, more open at times than theologians, priests, and ministers. In one instance, a doctor who prayed for his patients was reported to the hospital administration by the chaplain for unprofessional conduct. Mm. The doctor was exonerated, and it was pointed out that he brought more patients to the hospital than any other physician. The simplest way to interpret the gospel and to understand the love of God is to affirm that if God has the power to help someone suffering from a sickness that is destructive of human personality, he would do something, and whatever he would do is clearly far more than something I might do. This is what the gospel says in so many ways. If you then go, if you then, excuse me, if you then, who, if you then, who are evil? Wait a minute. If you then, if you then, who are evil, know how to give your children what is good, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him, Matthew seven eleven? To speak of this power of Jesus to heal the sick is my desire in this book. If you are not convinced, I invite you to pray for the sick or accompany those who do and find out for yourself. For me, 
three things have combined to convince me. The human situation cries out for an answer. As I mentioned earlier, we are in a dismal pastoral situation where we find people who are really trying to live good lives, who have tried to change and yet are still suffering from sickness, especially spiritual and emotional sickness that is wearing them down and does not appear to be redemptive. Often they are tempted to doubt the love and mercy of God. If there is not power to heal beyond the human methods they have already tried, what kind of answer can we give to them? There's something my lighting here has been tampered with. Let me try and get to a brighter light. Okay. Like Ivan and brothers, when some Christians who have searched deeply into human suffering have ended up as atheists because they see Christianity as preaching acceptance of evil as God's will. Mm. That's that's some subject. They cannot put that together with God's love. Sometimes a greater good can come out of sickness, and sickness can be accepted as a necessary evil. But sickness is in itself evil, and we need to speak more about real healing power and God's desire to bring wholeness to us, either in this life or the next. Often we need his transforming power to heal us in this life. Someone, I'm just trying to get close to another light here. And I don't know how to put the flashlight. Someone has said that a true Christian cannot stand by looking at suffering humanity with folded arms. But the way I preached about sickness was as if God did precisely that, watch suffering humanity with arms folded all the while saying, it will do you good. The passionate question of the sick people and their families is better answered by saying as a general rule that an enemy has done this and God is on your side. And if we pray, he will bring some kind of help and healing to you. The gospel addresses that human situation. The basic human dilemma of sickness is directly addressed by the gospel. The simplest and traditional understanding of the Christian message is that mankind is suffering from a primordial sinful situation, original sin, from which it is powerless to extricate itself. The Old Testament is a record of God calling and rescuing his chosen people and of their failing to live up to his call, to that call. Then Jesus came to free us, to save us, to heal us from the effects of that sin. That sin is not only personal, your sins are forgiven, Luke 7:48. But it is part of the situation into, into which we are born, and this woman, a daughter of Abraham, when Satan has bound these 18 years, was it not right to unite her bonds on the Sabbath day, Luke thirteen sixteen? 
In Acts, Peter gives a brief summation of the public ministry of Jesus. Because God was with him, Jesus went about doing good and curing all who had fallen into the power of the devil, Acts 10.38. Jesus freed people not only from sin, but also from bold, bold sicknesses, which is seen at least indirectly as the effect of sin for the most part, not personal sin, but the fallen human condition. The gospel speaks of this power to free and to heal being passed on to the church. He called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Luke 9 verses 1 to 2. It seems clear from this and many other passages that authority and power are passed on to the church, to the people. Not that we've ever doubted that this in doctrine or theory, but there has been a practical doubt, a lack of faith when we come to apply it in our pastoral practice. For example, if a young drug addict comes to me for help suffering from that sickness, which is clearly not redemptive, do I believe that he will be freed from his enslaving habit if I ask Christ to free him? My experience, if the previous considerations about our understanding of God's compassion and the meaning of redemption as revealed in Scripture were not enough to persuade me that there should be a power in Jesus Christ to heal, my own recent experience would be more than enough to convince me. For most of us, experience is what really convinces us. The people who remain skeptical about healing are, I find, people talking from outside as if it were, who have not seen the kind of things that I have been privileged to see. After the 72 came back rejoicing at the healings and exorcisms they had performed, Jesus, after telling them to rejoice rather that their names were written in heaven. They were filled, was filled with joy because the Father had revealed these things to mere children, even though many prophets and kings had wanted to see what the 72 were now seeing. What they had just seen was the power to heal and to tread underfoot the whole power of the enemy, Luke 10, 17 to 24. In the past eight years, it has been a joy for me to see many people freed, healed, or strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ released through prayer. Many of the things I have seen are so so wonderful as to sound incredible to those who have not themselves experienced them. These saving actions of God include spiritual healing, such as being freed instantly from longstanding alcoholism, emotional healing, such as from schizophrenia and deep mental depression, and physical healing, such as growth disappearing in a matter of minutes. For some, these healings are immediate. For some, they are gradual and take months. For still others, nothing at all seems to happen. But I would estimate that about 75% of the people we pray for, for physical or emotional ailments, are either healed completely or experience a noticeable improvement. Almost everyone regards the prayer as a real blessing and experiences the presence of Christ in a very direct way. I would encourage any of you who question all this, and we usually do question the authenticity of healing through prayer when we first hear about it, to check it out for yourself. 
Healing is caused by far more than the power of suggestion or even what can be achieved through the love of a compassionate person. Let me just share part of a letter dated May 7th, the kind of letter that often comes to me. I'm writing to tell you, Pastor, of a miracle which has happened. I hope you might remember me. I am the one who was a drug addict. You advised me to get in touch with such and such, and I did this last September, October. The struggles I had were unbelievable. I found a retired Anglican priest here who discerns carefully between mental problems, which are psychological, and those which are spiritual. I was delivered from the demons of lust and drugs only two months ago, and since then my life in the Christian therapy group I'm in has bloomed so much. I'm soon to leave it with everyone's consent. I'm having no trouble with lust or drugs. I am at peace totally in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I praise God for it daily in a gentle, quiet way. Father, I am at peace for the first time in 31 years. Seeing hundreds of people like this man, the kind of case I would have written off 10 years ago is nearly hopeless and a waste of my time, completely healed or at least helped by the power of prayer has helped me too see the love of God for his people in a deeper way than ever before. A whole new world has come upon me. I trust that this wonderful power to heal is going to be rediscovered by God's people, the church, and by the medical profession, and that this will lead us into an era where we would not have dreamed of just a few short years ago. That was his, uh, his introduction. All right. Uh, the power of healing. I was going to read healing through touch. I'm going to, I will touch on it since that is what I have on my introduction tonight. When I first, healing through touch, when I first began to learn about praying, praying for healing, I wanted to learn how to say the prayer of faith, how to frame the words. I knew that the laying on of hands was important, but I saw it as subsidiary to the prayer I said, but now I have come to realize that touch can be a prayer that has a power all on its own. It's clear that sometimes Jesus... Oh, goodness. I really need better light. It is clear that sometimes Jesus healed only through words or desire, as when he told the Canaanite woman who asked that her daughter be healed at a distance. At that moment, her daughter was well again, Matthew sixteen twenty eight. But for others, he said not a word. His touch alone healed. That a woman with the flow of with the flow of blood sneaked through the crowd and was healed when she touched the hem of his garment, Mark five twenty eight. He apparently didn't even know about her presence until he became aware that power had gone out from him in Mark five thirty again. Again, we read, again, we read, when the local people recognized him, they spread the news through the whole neighborhood and took all who were sick to him, begging him just to 
Let them touch the fringe of his cloak. And all those who touched it were completely cured. Matthew 14. So the prayer, or perhaps we should say the, the power for healing does not depend always on the spoken prayer. The touch of Jesus in itself brings healing. Now, is there any significance in all of this for those of us in a healing mystery? I think there is. I didn't see it very well in the beginning, but now I am beginning to realize why Jesus heals through touch as well as, as, well as through spoken prayer. Times, because there are times when we cannot speak, and many times, especially when visiting patients in a hospital, when it is inappropriate to disturb patients or nurses by praying out loud, for instance, late at night in an ICU, just being there holding the patient's hand with or without quiet prayer can be the channel for God's healing power. Our culture is very verbal, and I have to admit, and unless I can say a prayer at least under my breath, I usually don't feel comfortable. But I think that is my weakness. If I had more trust in God, I wouldn't need to feel that I had to say something. I know a sister who is a nurse every morning. When she goes to work, she asks Jesus to use her hands to heal and comfort, to let them be his hands. And she simply goes about her work in a loving way. She finds that patients themselves sense a difference when she gives a back rub or when she bathes them. At New York University now, there are studies being made in a non-religious setting on the effects of nurses laying hands on patients with the intention of healing. These, these studies provide evidence to show that simply in the natural order, the patient's power of recovery improves when a nurse lays hand, how much more we might expect to happen in an explicitly Christian context. The way they understand it is that there is a natural power of life in loving people, which is communicated in a special way through the power of touch, and that the patient absorbs much of his life or energy in such a way that the sick body can build up its own life-building forces. As Christians, we know that we share the very life of God himself, and it makes sense that something of that life-giving power in the physical order can be shared and communicated when we touch a sick person. It seems to me that this current of energy in what so many people feel when we pray for them is what so many people feel when we pray for them. When we need to pray for a long time, I'm also coming to learn that sometimes we don't pray long enough for patients suffering from chronic sicknesses. If there really is a kind of life-giving power transmitted, a radiation of the life of God, it needs time to work its way through. It needs time to work its way through and overcome. I'm taping. I'm taping. I'm reading. I'm doing a Bible study and overcome the sickness and decay already at work, killing the healthy tissues of the Bible, of the body. When we pray for a long time, we quickly run out of words to say than simply continuing to be there, touching the person. Perhaps praying in tongues seems to be a great help, a powerful prayer in itself. The bathroom is right there. Hold on one second.
when I first learned to pray for healing and and concentrated on what to say in that prayer, it didn't take very long to say the prayer. (coughs) Excuse me. A couple of minutes, no more. So there was no need to prolong such a prayer. It's as though when you say a prayer, you are calling upon God to do something to help. Our part is to act. Any healing that takes place is God's responsibility, especially when someone telephones long distance for prayer and you pray for the sick person over the phone. You are aware that you're really able to do nothing. It's all up to God if anything is going to happen at the other end of the line. But with the healing that transpires through touch, the healer seems to be more directly involved. Often you will feel something like heat in your hand when the person you are praying for. At other times you may feel a current of gentle power flow through you. We have long known about such phenomena and in in healing. And in healing. I mentioned them in passing. What I am coming to understand now, though, is how some of these sensory phenomena may touch us to pray better. Not that we can ever understand very much about the mystery of God's prayer, yet when we, like Jesus, experience something like a power going out from us, perhaps we can learn something. The way... I understand it, and this is only a surmise, it's like this. The Christian shares the life of God himself, and that is certain. That is a certain tenet of Christian belief. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live within us. Somehow, and here is my conjecture, the energy penetrated by this life can overflow. Can overflow, can be communicated, and flow from one person to another through touching the other person. In all of us, there are areas where sickness, sluggishness, and death are at work spiritually, emotionally, and physically. When another Christian or a community gathers around to pray, the life, the love, the healing power of Jesus can be transmitted to the sick person. If there's a great deal of sickness in me, a large cancer, for instance, it may take time for the radiating power of Jesus to begin to dissolve that cancer. It's like God's radiation treatment, just as we know. Excuse me. Just as we know that a single visit of cancer. A single visit of cancer, limit. just as we know that a single visit of a cancer patient to the hospital to get cobalt radiation treatment is not likely to kill all their cancer cells, so we should not be surprised that it may take more than one session of prayer to cure a chronic illness. I have seen so many sad results from Christians who have prayed once and then have been told to accept the healing as an accomplished fact. Sometimes they should claim their healing if God reveals to them that they should. But when evangelists do this with everyone, they pray for as a matter of principle. I believe that they often do great harm and actually prevent some people from gaining and full healing they would receive if they admitted that they were still sick 
and then we're free to ask friends to spend more time praying with them. And by time to pray, I mean months or even years of intermittent prayer, up to eight hours of concentrated prayer. This is what I call soaking prayer, a phrase I have heard from my friend, Reverend Tommy Tyson. What is soaking prayer? Soaking prayer. Soaking prayer conveys the idea of time to let someone seep through to the core of something dry that needs to be revived. That's the way it is with the laying on of hands when we feel that God is asking us to take time to irradiate the sickness with his power and love. It is a very gentle prayer, soaking prayer. I first discovered... I first discovered this time factor some years ago in praying with arthritis patients. Suppose we are praying with a person whose hands are crippled with arthritis. I find that such I find that such people are occasionally healed dramatically using at large prayer meetings. But for the most part, when I prayed individually for such people, a little improvement would take place. The fingers would straighten up a little bit. The rest, the wrist and the fingers would be able to bend a little more. Often the pain would be reduced or disappear. In short, there would be a noticeable change, but nothing like a complete healing. So when do you go from there? Where do you go from there? Certainly you can thank God for the lessening of the pain, and yet you can't say the person was cured. Why such a mixed result? It was pretty clear that more time for prayer was was needed. I remember the healings of Jesus on our need to take time in prayer to be insistent. It's significant. It's significant, for instance, that the famous passage on asking it will be given to you, search and you will find, knocking the door will be open to you, Luke eleven nine, comes immediately after another passage on asking and knocking where a man pounds on a friend's door in the middle of the night and gets the natural response, don't bother me. The man keeps shouting and pounding at the door until the man inside gets up, and Jesus observes that his friendship wasn't enough to get him out of bed. The man's persistent. What happened? Hold on a minute. Um, How do I do this? Can can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I put you back in the room then. I put you back. It says you're still here. I don't know. Okay. It says I'm still there. Yeah, I got disconnected. Okay, what do you think? I'm looking at the healing through touch. Uh, This minister's 
giving his testimony, how he's seen power, um, you know, prayer work. Um, he's like above and beyond just prayer. The power of touch is profound. And he's also saying that um, we can't expect a quick fix. We have to be continuous in our prayers. What's your perspective on healing and prayer? Well, uh, healing and prayer should go hand in hand because uh, God is a God who wants us healed. And he's a God who answers prayer. But, uh, you know, I believe you said something before. I don't know if it was the last uh, Bible study uh, we were at, but you said something to the effect of God uh, believes in healing uh, as long as it's within his will, uh, his perfect will for your life. And then we use the example of um, Paul, who mm-hmm. had that thorn in his side, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as long as it coincides with the perfect will God has for us, which I believe ultimately his perfect will is for us to be healed, not for us to be broken, you know, mm-hmm. um, it even I think it's Isaiah 55 that says, by his stripes, meaning mm-hmm. stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I believe it is within his perfect will for us to be healed and to be whole. But again, it's, you know, God's perfect will is so much greater than our healing. So, for instance, if, you know, it's interesting. We, it's his perfect will for us to be healed. Uh, but at the end of the day, his perfect will for us, depending what it is, it might be greater. Um, there's also scripture in the, the Bible that says, uh, you know, in terms of sin, you know, that it's better to... Uh, cut off your hand than to have two hands and to help. You know what I mean? So Right, right. You know, it's it's so you mean to tell me you'd rather me take out my eye? Or you rather me cut off one of my hands and one of my arms than to have two functioning hands if it's gonna cause me to enter health. You know what I mean? It's uh and I don't think God is contradictory in that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, his perfect will is so much greater than us just having two perfect hands and two perfect feet. You know what I mean? Uh, if it leads us to sin in any way, or if it leads us to not be as committed to God as we should be. Mm-hmm. It may be, uh, I'm not saying that it comes to this, but it could possibly mean that, you know, you have an arm that's not functioning. You know, 
it, it depends on what God's will is. Ultimately, I believe his will is for us to be healed in heaven. Uh, but, you know, I look back at the Apostle Paul where he said, you know, uh, God did not take that thorn away from him mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was to fulfill the perfect will for Paul's life that that thorn stayed in his side, meaning that he wasn't perfectly whole, you know. I, I think I kind of lost my way there, but I I think you get the point of what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yes. It depends on the circumstance. And sometimes, you know, God can, um, he can use any, sometimes he won't, he does his, uh, the last reading I read too, right? Some, sometimes, you know, he does it for, to build faith. Um, when Jesus healed people, he healed people that weren't even saved. But he wanted, it's, it just depends on the situation. He wanted them to come into right. the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's right. to build faith. Sometimes it's to teach a lesson. Sometimes it's, you know, God has a, a variety of, of reasons, but the, right. the bottom line is he has the ultimate power. The power sure. comes from him. And even if we pray for people and we do see people healing, the power comes from the most high God. Of course it does, no doubt. You know? You know, and, uh, you know, it could be, uh, you know, within his perfect will for that one to remain, or it could be perhaps, you know, it's not our time yet. You know, I mean, sometimes we're in the process of getting to that healing or that wholeness. Or it could be that, you know, maybe we're not praying enough. Maybe we're not. That's, 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 that's just what, just, just now, that's what he's talking about today. Yeah. Um, let me just finish up this little this little part from him about the time factor. I first discovered this time factor some years ago in praying with arthritis patients. Suppose suppose we're praying with a person whose hands are crippled with arthritis. I find that such people occasionally heal dramatically, usually at large prayer meetings, but for the most part when I prayed individually for such people, a little improvement would take place. The fingers would straighten up a little, but the wrist and finger would be able to bend a little more. Often the pain would be reduced or disappear. In short, there would be a noticeable change, but nothing like a complete healing. So where do you go from here? Certainly you can thank God for the lessening of the pain, and yet you can't say that the person was cured. Why such a mixed result? It was pretty clear that more time for prayer was needed. I remembered the teachings of Jesus on our need to take time in prayer to be consistent, to be insistent. It is significant, for instance, that this famous passage on accident will be given to you, search and you will find, and the door will be open to you, Luke 11, 9. He comes immediately after another passage on asking and knocking, where a man pounds on a friend's door, and basically he goes into insisting. We have to just don't give up. You know, you have to keep, you make your, like you said, we have to pray enough and more than enough. 
Okay, so some of the, even the Lord talks about God delaying in answering prayer and encourages us to cry out day and night. Then he adds the point that shows his sadness. He seems to see that the time element, the delay, is what occasions our loss of faith in God's power. In parables of Jesus, he is telling us to keep on praying. Sometimes a single prayer or a single time is not enough. People brought up in the ways of traditional traditional Christianity are well aware of this, that perhaps they're too well aware of it, and that such faith that anything will ever really happen. But on the other hand, people who have learned about prayer from a Pentecostal group may demand immediate answers to prayer and start blaming someone for lack of faith when the sick person isn't instantly and completely cured. If the sick person is cured that way, there are two wonders involved, one in the complete cure, the other in that the cure is immediate and instantaneous. To get back, to the arthritic patient, it just seemed right to spend more time praying to see if anything more could happen. Often enough, I found that if some healing had already started to take place, then further prayer would usually lead to still more healing. As a crude example, if it about 10% of the healing took place through the first prayer, then after praying for another 40 minutes, there might be something like a 50% improvement. To me, this was a very new discovery that I hadn't read about, a thing about. As is usual with a new discovery, it brought a new problem. There wasn't, there just wasn't that kind of time to give to people, especially at large prayer meetings. The more I learned about the time element, the more uncomfortable I felt that seeing people line up for prayer at 10 p.m. and after an evening retreat session. Seeing the severity of some of their ailments, I would feel as if I were cheating them by not giving them the time they really needed. I began to realize that some of those people would not be healed tonight, but that they probably could be healed if only someone had the time. Only someone had the time to spend soaking them in prayer. In fact, my prayer might then my prayer might make them reluctant to see to seek out someone else afterwards to pray at length. Since I had already prayed, they might feel it is a lack of faith on their part to add prayer to the prayer. To help them more, I now tell people not to hesitate in seeking someone out to pray at a greater length if they feel improved but not completely healed. That perhaps my prayer will begin their healing, and someone else's will finish it. So I've been teaching people to pray, the soaking prayer for parents to pray for their children, for husbands and wives to pray for each other, and for all those long-time deep-down sicknesses that have not been responded to, briefer prayers, uh, ailments such as mental retardation, briefer prayers, and briefer prayers, ailments such as mental retardation that are really healed on the instant now seem to be notably improved and occasionally healed by means of parents soaking the child in prayer 
over a period of months or years. Ooh, the how of soaking prayer, and this will be the last part. Since this kind of prayer takes time, we have developed a simple way of doing it. First comes a prayer, asking God in the ordinary way to heal the person. Then because there isn't much sense in repetition, we simply continue to lay our hands on the person in such a way that everyone is comfortable. Soaking prayer can be done very much like holding a prayer meeting. After the initial prayer for healing, we can alternate periods of song and silence. We can pray in English or we can pray quietly in tongues. As I see it as a kind of life or power continues to pour gently into the affected part all during the time we pray. If a team is praying, then it is easy to change places and someone gets tired. There is no reason why we can't pray for an hour and then take a 10-minute break before coming back to pray again. That's soaking in prayer. Then continuing prayer can go on as long as we judge it's right. Sometimes if we have a half dozen of people to pray for, we may linger with one or two for about 10 minutes. At other times when we have an appointment with just one person, we can pray from anywhere from 10 minutes to a period of hours depending on the guidance of the spirit on whether or not anything seems to be happening and on the strength and energy of the participants. In many ways, I find it helps to think of soaking prayer as being like radiation or x-ray therapy. The longer the diseased area is held under the radiation of God's healing power, the more the more disease cells are killed. At times, you can even see a tumor or growth gradually disappear as you pray. The problem, of course, with cobalt radiation is that healthy cells get killed too. So the treatment sessions have to be fairly short so that the healthy tissues of the body are not so badly hurt. On the other hand, the wonderful thing about prayer is that there are no harmful side effects. You can pray as long as you want. The only limit imposed is your own strength. Since prayer does take something out of us, we have to set limits and rest. This means that soaking prayer can be something we do at at regular intervals. Parents can pray for five minutes a day for their retarded child, or we can try praying once a week for 15 minutes within uh, arthritic friend. On the other hand, we can decide to take a long time in one chunk and make an all-out effort. For example, a small group may decide to spend a whole afternoon or a whole day praying for a friend who has multiple sclerosis. If we're going to spend considerable time with the person, we should ordinarily have some indication through a gift of knowledge or some other sign that we should spend all that time. Furthermore, if we pray too long with the person and nothing much happens, he naturally tends to feel guilty. As if he had failed to meet expectations. So ordinarily, I only pray for a protracted time when something really begins to happen in a fairly short prayer for healing. This improvement indicates that we need to take more time to bring the healing to completion. 
Now, sometimes what is begun in a short prayer, for example, a tumor starts to get smaller, it may just continue happening for several hours after we have finished praying and the person has gone home. At other times, the improvement only seems to go as long as we keep praying. I don't understand all this. I'm just sharing what I've seen so that you will not limit the way that God works but will remain open to what seems to be called for with each person you pray with. For each person you pray with. All right, I'm going to stop there. God, we just thank you, Heavenly Father, for the knowledge of your deity, of your sovereignty over healing, over the power of healing. We thank you, God, for prayer. We thank you, God, to know that prayer changes things and prayer does heal people. God, as the writer said, if once you see, see God is in the action, keep on praying. I thank you, God, for the privilege to be able to do soaking prayers, to pray for our loved ones. I call healing Heavenly Father over my, my nephew's life, Elijah Scott. I call healing over Haru Scott's life. I call healing over my own life. I bind and rebuke every satanic attack. There's no torture program, no touch torture program that has been used on me. Heavenly Father, that radiation, the directed energy weapon, I decree and declare that I shall run across this earth. I will be back on the treadmill that my legs will not be disabled, that they are legs that belong to the Most High God. God, I just thank you for healing over my mother, for covering her from head to toe, Heavenly Father, and for giving her the gift of longevity, God. I just thank you and I praise you. I thank you, God, for each and every listener here, my praying sisters, God. I thank you, God, for their soaking prayers for each other, Heavenly Father, that you, Heavenly Father, can direct and lead each one of us what to say, what to do. I thank you, God, for covering my sister Camille, Heavenly Father, and finding a way when it looked like there may not be a way. God, I thank you for opening the windows of heaven in her life and doing the abundance. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you watch over her and you I bind up any any demon attack, any demon attack on that computer, any demon attack on the finances, in the name of Jesus. God, I ask you to bless my sister Angelica, who's faithful, always willing to come out and pray. And God, I hope her friend came on the line, and I ask you to bless that person who's going through a very delicate situation, Heavenly Father. God, give him the comfort that only you can give him. Let him know that leaning on Jesus is one of the best things we can do. Leaning on Jesus, Heavenly Father. Let him know to put his trust and know that you're in charge and that great blessings can come out sometimes what the devil meant for bad, God will use for good. So, God, I thank you for the privilege of prayer and the privilege of reading this uh, divine healing manual and knowing the benefits of not giving up on your faith, whether you see changes immediate or you don't, keep on praying. Punch the devil in the eye. Keep on praying. Keep saying, this little light of mine shine. Don't focus on that thing that devil's doing. Don't, dec- don't claim none of his diseases, none of his sickness. In the name of Jesus, know that you serve a, a almighty God and know that the, the demon's working for the devil that they are compromised, and you're on the winning team. If you're on God's team, you're going to come out a winner. So stay with God. Stay prayed up. Don't give up on God. 
Keep on praying. Pray for healing. Healing's coming. It's a matter of time in the name of Jesus. God, we just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And Camille, you want to close us out in prayer? Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Sure. Uh, Dearly beloved, holy and heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, I am trying to fight in terms of this praying to you. Uh, It's hard many times with these electromagnetic assaults coming at me, messing with my brain, Father, but I just curse them in the name of Jesus and by the powerful, precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that there will be nothing that separates me from the love of Jesus, the love of you, Father, and the love of your kingdom. So I thank you so much for prayer. Prayer is really an honor and a privilege. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get the privilege to do. Uh, we get the privilege of having fellowship with Jesus, with you in the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, we were bought with a price. It was because of what Jesus did in laying down his life, Father, for me and for the world, for each and every one of us, that we get to have fellowship with you, Father, that we are forgiven, that we are set free, Father, that we get to spend each and every day with you. And then once we are done in this world, once we've completed our assignment, Father, we get to spend eternity with you, Father. And I give you the honor, the worship, the praise, and the glory. I do believe it is your will, Father, that while we are here, that we are here. But yes, Father, um, and I am guilty myself in terms of praying for healing. You know, your scriptures say when we come before you in prayer, we must believe and not doubt. And that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move the mountains, Father. I pray that when we come before you in prayer, first that we repent of sin and that we come before you with a clean heart and that we come before you in faith, Father, that you are mighty, that you are awesome, that you are all-powerful and all-sovereign, and that you can do all things, Father. And then it is to say that you want us to be healed, Father. So we stand on faith. I stand Mm -hmm. on faith in terms of the healing of my own body, especially with all of the assaults and the attacks that have come against me, the assaults of injured Sleep and all of this stuff, Father. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I curse it at the root and I command it to die. I keep the blood of Jesus Christ uh, against it, Father. It is not of your kingdom and it's not of your will for our lives. Your will for our lives is to be healed and to be whole. And yes, Father, I continue to pray and I pray that we, uh, we. We don't give up, Father, that we pray without ceasing, as the scriptures say. And we faint not, Father, but we continue on in faith and in prayer with a clean heart. 
and want to use mountains in our lives in terms of healing, in terms of, because uh, it's not just healing, it's deliverance, it's breakthrough, it's triumph, it's victory. In each and every area and aspect of our lives, Father, you want that for But, you know, you want us also to do it with the right heart, uh, with a heart that is faithful, with a heart that is clean, and with a heart that uh, when that time of whole and complete healing comes, it's not because of us, and it's not just for us. But it is to impact and advance your kingdom, Father. You know, that's what the healing is. I mean, yes, you want to do it for us and you love us, Father. But ultimately, in everything that we do, and I pray this for each and every one of us, that we have a kingdom mindset, a kingdom heart, Father, that it's not just about us and what we can get in this world but that is ultimately about serving Jesus and you in the kingdom of heaven. So I pray for us to be more kingdom-minded. I pray for us, Father, that we are walking not just in this fleshly experience, but that we're walking in the Holy Spirit, Father, that the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. The flesh is corrupt. I know my flesh can definitely be very corrupt, Father, in terms of thinking of things after the flesh. I pray to you that each and every one of us, that we think of things after the Holy Spirit, after Jesus and you and your kingdom, Father, and that we desire you, Father, above all things. Our first heart, our first mindset, our first thought, when we get up and start our day is on you. And not in terms of the things of this world. And I know as targeted people, that's difficult because many times we wake up and the attacks are already there. The attacks are there as we sleep. But Father, I pray that you help to redirect our hearts, our minds, and our focus on you and that are greater than all of these attacks. You are greater than the kingdom of Satan. Of course you are. You are the great creator of the universe. So I pray that we walk in that. That we walk in the power and the love and the truth of Jesus, of your scriptures, and of the kingdom of heaven, Father. And that you show up in a mighty and powerful way in each and every one of us. In my life, I see the blood of Jesus over my mind, my heart, my soul, my body, and every area and aspect of my being. That my heart, my mind, and my thoughts are on Jesus, our new Father, and of the kingdom of heaven, and how I can live better for you and serve you better how I can be the woman father that you have called me to be, and how I can impact the lives of others for Jesus and you and the kingdom of heaven, and how souls, more and more souls can be saved and snatched out of fire. Because right now, Father, in this world we're living in, and even your scriptures are a testament of the fact that they say, 
know that the vast majority of people will choose darkness and will spend eternity in hell. But, Father, I pray that as many that can be snatched out of time and live for Jesus and you and your kingdom, that that's where our hearts and minds are focused on, that we do it, that we're led by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus and by you and your kingdom in terms of soul being and lives being healed and lives being resurrected and redeemed from the dead. And I give you the honor the worship the praise and the Lord. I plead the blood of Jesus over my sister Miriam and her mom and her nephew and her family lineage and everything and everyone connected to her father. I plead the blood of Jesus over any sins that have happened over the bloodline, Father, and that she and her entire family repent of those sins that they turn from their sins, and they turn to serving Jesus and you and your kingdom, that they fulfill the assignment that you have for their lives on this earth, and that before they leave this world, Father, they're ready to meet you and Jesus and the kingdom of heaven for eternity, Father. And I praise your holy name, and I thank you. And I pray the same thing over my family and over my lineage everything and everyone connected to me, Father, you know, that I just walk in love no matter what in terms of my family. Sometimes it's hard, Father, but you've given us the strength. And, uh, you know, I thank you so much, you know, and uh, I continue to pray for Angelica and for Anne and for uh, Jackie and for Nancy. And for Amy, Father, and for Elizabeth, Father, and, uh, you know, any, anyone I may have missed, I don't know, I think there's Lisa and Simone and some other people, Father, you know who they all are. I see the blood of Jesus over them, their families, their loved ones, and everyone connected to them. I pray, Father, that if they don't know Jesus, if they don't know you, I pray, Father, that they repent, that they come to know the love of Jesus and how Jesus loves each and every one of us to lay down his life for us, that we may have eternal life with you in heaven for eternity through Christ, Father. And I pray that each and every one of these mentions, and even those that I didn't mention, Hannah, Father, and Salvador, I pray for each and every one of these, Father. I stand in the gap for those who are being oppressed around the world, Father. And I see the blood of Jesus over each and every one of their lives. I pray that if they don't know Jesus, they come to know Jesus in your kingdom. Father, I pray for a global and international justice and the lives of people who are being tormented and tortured and oppressed, whether it be from eugenics or pedophilia or whatever satanic and demonic programs that are going on around the world. I curse those programs at its root. I plead the blood of Jesus against them, Father. Those programs and all these things by Satan, they are violation of the law. And I come before your high court of heaven 
because you come down with a judgment, Father, and that, you know, protect your people and you bring your justice upon those who would oppress people, specifically your people, Father. I know your sister say, God shall not be lost. Every man shall reap what he sows. He who sows to the Holy Spirit shall reap eternal life. He who sows to the flesh shall reap eternal damnation. Your scriptures also say the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth's name, you're not a God, Father, of injustice, but your timing is perfect. In your time, you will repay sin, and no one gets away. They may get away for short time, but they won't leave what they sown. And I thank you for being the God of justice. Your scriptures say, Psalm 97, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And I give you all honor, worship, praise, and glory. I thank you for this time of prayer. I kind of went all around the place, Father, but yes, I do believe healing is something that you want for your people. And I pray for each and every one of us on this call. And those who are not, Father, I pray that first and foremost, you seek me first your kingdom and your righteousness. And your scriptures say that all other things shall be added unto us in Matthew 6, 33. That's the basic. We seek to first your kingdom, Father, and your righteousness, your right way of doing things. And you will all those things unto us. That we persevere in terms of prayer. And that we believe, Father. And that we come before you with a pure heart. That will move your hand, I believe in terms of us praying for him or for any something. And uh, as long as it's done within your perfect will for our lives, you will do it. And you want to do it. And I thank you so much. And I pray this all in Jesus' name as I say now. Uh-oh, she's sleeping. Wake up, Miriam. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. You fell asleep, girl. I heard I, you. Oh my goodness! Stop it. Yes, I'm, you did. I I'm, heard you. I'm sorry. That's okay. I put you to sleep. That's all right, honey. No, no, right. no, no, no. I just it's it's what two thirty, and you know I was I know. I was a lot of reading, and you know what did it too. My um lamp, the light, the bulb was just not, you know, when it's not bright enough, it made it extra hard to read, you know. Yeah, you're you're fine, honey. You you don't even have to explain, cause I fell asleep earlier, so you know it's all good. But you know what? As you say to me, you rest with God and the angels, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Angelica, are you still here? You want to make any closing statements? I want to know about those, um, uh, about that, you know, that environment with no microwave weapons, you know. Uh, we'll find out more later. All right, well, thank you. You mean, mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, yeah. I'm I think good. it was another voice. I didn't hear anything. 
I thought I did. Was someone else speaking? Okay, maybe it was in my head. But when you talked about that, the place was, uh, was that the place we were talking about that you said Ann and Derek wanted to go to? Yes. Okay. That was the one in West Virginia. Okay. All right. Well, and, uh, you know, you sent Ann the, uh, the video, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, lady. Did you want to say anything further? No, that's about it. May God bless you. And we'll bring on the prayer line Sunday. We'll keep uh, moving forward. Don't forget, if you see anything you think can benefit the TI community, the prayer community, please bring it to me. I'll welcome you time to get on and, you know. You know what? I never even thought about that before. I don't know why. Sometimes my brain is not functioning on high. You know, but if I do see some, uh, you know, it's not that I don't mean to bring it to you. I don't know for some reason my my wires are not. You know, for for instance, uh, with this whole work at home thing, right? It's not yeah, like in the past I didn't mean to bring it to you. It's just I don't know why my brain was not functioning on home. But uh, yeah, you know, we're <laughs> in a very odd situation. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely, you're right. If I see anything that can help anybody, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Encouragement. Yeah. Yeah, we need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of videos. And, uh, again, I, I just, and my mind also lately has been functioning on trying to get work. And they're trying to do everything possible. So, yeah. wow. That's come down you know, I mean, thank God I have income already, but that's a task even with income. That's a, I mean, that's work, looking for a job, you know. It is, yeah. And then when you know, I think it took me out. I think a lot of that took me out today, you know, and yeah, just following up and following through. And I have to do it extra because as I'm trying to do it, you know, I have these forces that are trying to sabotage it. Yeah, so to follow up, you know, it's just it, it's it's nonstop. So I, I know, and you know, your rest is critical. So make sure you get your rest, no yeah. matter what the hours they give you, because there'll be no hours when you if you can't, you know, right? If I can't function, and right. I'm noticing that it is taking its toll on me. So you know, I can I hear it in your voice. You sound a little tired than usual. I am tired. I I am quite exhausted right now, you know. And actually, I was on the call earlier. I don't know what show that I was still on the call, but, you know, when I woke up, it looks like they disconnected the call because there's no reason why the call should have hung up. So, I mean, it's just everything is nonstop on me, you know. It's nonstop on me. So uh, just keep me in your prayers as well. It's nonstop on me, like every second of every moment of every day. This is just sickening. Um, we got you know pray for the people that have no idea. Yeah, well that too. But I gotta pray also just to keep my head above water. 
yeah. you know, because I, I don't know. I'm I'm living truly hand to mouth. I don't know what it's going to be like from month to month. I just don't, you know. So I don't know. Just pray for me as well, okay? Well, he's keeping you, you know? Yeah, he's keeping me, but it's hand to mouth. I mean, right. it, it it's torture. Yeah. So, I mean, just it's torture. It really is. It, and it's the word the flame is like a pie. Right. He's not trying to keep us just hand to mouth like you said. God, we serve a God of abundance, so. Yeah, well, I, I'm ready to experience that abundance and not just this ongoing stuff because I haven't, somehow I haven't tapped into that abundance and it's time for me to tap into it instead of this nonstop craziness that I'm going through each and every moment of each and every day. So, you know, it's that that that's what's going on. And, I mean, it's just very, very real. So, anyway, uh, you have a blessed rest, and I'm going to get some rest, too, and uh, I guess I'll talk to you Sunday. Okay, Okay, Dan. All right. All right. Bye-bye. You, too. Bye-bye.
Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit